0: Podcast to be just about religion. I mean, religion and critical thinking actually have nothing to do with each other. I mean, really, they have nothing to do with one another. But from the feedback I've gotten and the comments I've heard on other podcasts and other places, I think it's important for fellow non-believers to know that there are others out there who see things in a similar way. So maybe someday we don't feel a requirement to hide our beliefs due to fear of persecution. I mean, I know I don't tell people my beliefs, except when I'm broadcasting to the entire world, Too many people I know would think I'm pure evil, and all the genetic tests I've taken show I'm at least 86% evil-free. This episode is probably more for that handful of religious listeners I have that keep emailing me saying, I'm going to hell if I don't start believing, and hold on to that feeling. Oh, a journey reference. How original. It isn't even the right lyrics, you moron. So the goal of this episode is, in a non-hostile and mostly non-blasphemous way, to present some of the reasons why some of us non-believers don't believe in a deity watching over us. I know, there's plenty of books and other podcasts explaining this same information. Well, here's another one. Now, at most, I can only speak for myself. Just like many Christians have different beliefs about things like abortion and capital punishment and NFL players with dogfights on their rental property, non-believers have different beliefs as well. But I think most of what I say covers somewhere between 30-50% to 50% of us. But I'm still waiting on those teenagers I hired to do a census to come back with the results. And my clipboard. As always, when discussing topics like this, you're faced with definitions. Who am I speaking for? Atheists? Agnostics? Brights? What do these things mean? Whatever. I don't really label myself because there's a lot of things I don't believe in, and I'm not going to come up with a unique label for each one. I don't believe that gargoyles really come alive at night and help insomniac police detectives solve crimes. I'm not going to start calling myself an agargoilist. I don't believe in the Mexican staring frog of southern Sri Lanka. I'm not going to start calling myself an a Sri Lanka a Labels are convenient, but I don't want to get hung up on semantics. Wasn't it Shakespeare that said something like a, a stench blossom by another name would smell just as foul? I don't want to get hung up on semantics. Plus, there's just too many names to keep track of anyway. Frankly, I haven't got the time or the interest to bother with what I should call myself this month. I'll just call myself Garthock. Now, I may use other terms during this episode, such as atheist, but I really just mean non-believer. Let's just lump it all together in one big generic pile. So right off the bat, why don't non-believers believe? Well, my first single most important reason. Lack of evidence. I simply have no reason to think that such an entity actually exists. There hasn't been some event in my life that the only possible explanation was a being with mystical powers, did it? Yeah, I know. There's that grilled cheese sandwich with the face of a woman. That's hard to dispute. I mean, it clearly must be Mary, mother of Jesus. It couldn't possibly be, say, my grandmother trying to warn people of the dangers of high-fat foods. But despite the fact that, to some believers, this is really good evidence... Well, if I thought a miracle occurred every time I saw a face in something, I'd invest in a carpet manufacturing plant because I can find a face in carpet just about any time I look at it. Hey, what do you see when you look at the clouds? Uh, I see only clouds. Don't you ever see a bus or a tree or a lawyer bird? I mean, I've seen clouds that would make your head explode so much that they resemble that of George Washington Carver. God rest his peanut-loving soul. Nope. I just see suspended water molecules. No faces. Ever. So the only time you see patterns in nature that look like something else is when... You... That's right. The Virgin Mary and grilled cheese sandwiches. Or Jesus and tortilla chips and oyster shells. You've convinced me! And I like the dignity afforded by a supernatural being by appearing in processed food items. I mean, you just don't get that with your shrubbery-based sightings. Damn Bernard Bush my ass. Where do I sign up? Right this way, sir. We have your converti limo waiting out back. This goes for all things I'm skeptical of. I actually could be convinced, but I need evidence. Just like most people wouldn't believe if someone said they had a 7th level Pau Delvian and a Chia Pet Planner in their basement, or Luferigno on their couch. When I'm presented with evidence, I will believe. But you must understand that if I can devise an alternative explanation other than God for your evidence, then that's not what I would call good evidence. I think the natural world around us is full of fascinating things already. I don't have to seek some wild explanation when the universe under normal operating procedures is magical enough. And just because I don't know doesn't mean it must be God. Do you know at the atomic level how an iPod works? No? Well then it must be God, right? No, of course not. Saying we're here, aren't we, isn't good evidence to me. While I might not know how or why we're here, that doesn't mean I should just accept something. In fact, there are several popular explanations, not just God. It has been said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If I tell you I have a bag of Cheetos in my car, you'll probably believe me because I haven't made extraordinary claims. If I tell you I have Jesus in my trunk, well even if you believe in Jesus, you're not just gonna take my word for it, are you? You're gonna require evidence in my trunk-based Savior. Now some non-believers proclaim there's nothing you can do to convince them that God exists. Just like some Christians say there's nothing you can do to convince them God doesn't exist. I think both of those are actually pretty close-minded. I believe you could convince me, but like I said, it would just take some really good evidence. But here's the rub for me personally. I actually periodically search for new evidence and reasons for a deity's existence. And I honestly have not heard a unique argument in over ten years. In fact, I do believe that you will never convince me via a verbal or textual argument. I need physical proof and I need skeptical corroborators. So, frankly, any email to me on this subject telling me where I'm missing evidence is a waste of both of our time. I've been doing the research. Now, let me point out that the goal of this episode is not to convince anyone of anything, but instead to express to those believers that do listen, I don't know why, exactly how I and other non-believers reached our conclusion. So, this isn't to say there isn't any valid verbal arguments, but instead, by the very nature of this problem, talk isn't enough. If I'm going to change how I live my life, I better have a good reason to do it. It's going to require something more fantastical than a description of some existing phenomenon. You can call me closed-minded, but nothing you can say is going to prove it to me. I need something more tangible to prove it to me. Likewise, there's nothing I can say that's going to change your mind. Say, la vie. Now, the next big reason we tend not to believe in a higher power is that it doesn't make any sense. hang on, hang on. Despite the name of this podcast, don't get caught up on logic and how logic can be wrong. And, And I don't mean that you can make logical proofs that God doesn't exist or that you can take logic to the extreme so science can't be trusted. I'm talking about a much more basic level. Humans do not obey pure logic. Take cheeseburgers and ice cream. It's not logical to eat these foods. They're not the most nutritious, healthiest, or best tasting, or cheapest, or easiest to prepare. But people still eat them. People like them, period. And since people like them, it's logical to eat something you like. That's the level of logic I'm talking about. So from that standpoint, frankly, God's behavior comes across as illogical and more often than not a little psychotic actually. Remember, he made us in his image so his logic should be somewhat understandable to us. Come to daddy's loving arms. There, that's better, isn't it? Soon you'll be in the land of milk and honey. But first, if you'll excuse me, I've got to kill thousands of children because I don't like the guy who holds jurisdiction over their parents. Couldn't you just kill him instead? No. You just don't get it, do you, Scott? I mean, Martha. I want to prove to this guy my existence, and the only way I know to do that is to methodically butcher defenseless children. If you've got a better idea, I'd love to hear it. Well, how about just killing his children? Look, I haven't got time for this. I've got to set fire to a patch of blue-rug juniper so I can give some other guy the next task for a scavenger hunt. True. Perhaps I'm getting hung up on the fact that things should follow some order. I certainly don't know everything, and I fully acknowledge that it's possible the world is not as it seems. But the fact that the universe, for all intents and purposes, seems to follow rules that we can observe. These rules are mostly consistent. We're given the same input, you often get the same output. Using these rules, events are repeatable, and within a certain range, predictable. Sure, we can't predict the future, we have gaps in our knowledge. But for the most part, based on past observations, we can define a range of possible outcomes. If I walk up to you and punch you in the nose, you'll probably either hit me back or cry like a little baby or yell, What the hell's your problem, man? You're not going to levitate in the air and sweep your hands in front of you as a path of destruction ripples outwards from you. God's behavior and his rules throw the rules we see every day out the window. Again, I could be wrong, and God just breaks his own rules all the time just to mess with us. But where else besides religion would you ignore everything you know and observe? None that I can think of off the top of my head. And so why should I make an exception this one time when it defies everything I know? But another area where it just doesn't make sense. Consider, many religions have an afterlife. Your current behavior is judged and affects your afterlife. So this means that a being, or perhaps beings, has nothing better to do than sit around dividing its attention among billions of entities and decide each of their fate. Man, I do not want that job. That seems worse than an assembly line where all you do is place washers on a never-ending supply of kitchen cabinet handles. Maybe this being just knows our fate without observing us, but again, that defies everything I've learned up to this point. Especially since the human population is growing exponentially. His observations or knowledge of us has to expand continually to keep up with our growth. This means there's a supremely intelligent and supremely powerful being that created us and wants us to follow his rules. But he doesn't recognize that many of us need evidence. Wait, wait, wait. In addition, if you read the Old Testament, to use Christianity as an example, you'll notice that his followers are constantly complaining. He keeps showing them evidence of his powers, and then they stop defying him for a month or so, and then they start complaining again and lose their faith and defy him. Doesn't this entity have basic pattern recognition skills? It seems like he should realize we keep telling him we need evidence, and thus he should provide it. But but to be fair, he supposedly created us in his image, and we mortals forget things quickly. I got you that Danish. And apparently, so does God. Just like we forgot he was God a few weeks after he dazzled us with his floating cloud trick, he forgets that we need some evidence. Now I know this is an area where believers say, the Lord works in mysterious ways, or he has a plan that we can't understand, or even... If he provided evidence, we would lose our free will. I contend that if this is true, then his ways are so mysterious that at this point you have no idea what he wants. You say it's written down in the Bible. Well, notice that he wipes out people for very little and that sometimes his behavior is random bordering on psychotic. So if he works in such mysterious ways and his wrath is thrust unknowingly upon people, then how can you know what he wants? He has punished people who truly felt they were following his rules. Believers admit that they can't know what he wants. So let me oversimplify this typical believer's statement. You can't know what he wants, so you should follow these rules about what he wants, even though you can't know what he wants. I mean, that's the type of not making sense that makes non-believers just not believe. And to non-believers, saying he works in mysterious ways comes across as a cop-out. When you say he has a plan and that's why you didn't get what you asked for, that means he's actively interfering with humans. He's giving some people what they ask for, And not giving other people what they ask for, because he's got a plan. So if he's got a plan, and he's going to stick to his plan whether you like it or not, then why ask at all? If he's got a plan is an acceptable answer, it suggests that you are not responsible for your own situation. If you ask and God doesn't give it to you, and you say, well, he's got a plan, then you're saying, I just wanted this thing to fall in my lap and I don't want to take any action. This raises the whole God-helps-those-who-help-themselves issue. Yeah, I know. You asked for it, didn't get it, but then you took action and God made it happen for you. He's not giving away things for free. But couldn't you have just taken action without asking for God's help? Don't ask for it. Since you admit you have to do something, even if you do ask for it, just do it. Don't ask for it. Now, if your answer is that no, you actually, you had to ask for God's help before you could take action, then, uh, he's helping me, and I don't believe in him, and I've been quite blasphemous to him several times. I, mean, I have a good life, and I work hard for it. The fact that non-believers are successful is proof that you don't need God to be successful. would well, not that tick off a believer if you ask God for help, but he never gives it, but he helps people like me? So what's next? Another problem we have with accepting religion is the inability to clearly define it. It's very difficult to nail down specifics of what any one religion is about. The members of this club don't even agree with each other, much less their own user manual. I can hear you now. Scientists don't always agree either, you heathen scum. Yes, scientists often don't agree. But disagreements are actually science's strength. But that's not a religion. Religion is supposed to be the word of God. Now, if it is, there shouldn't be any disagreement. In order for there to be disagreement and in order for religion to be correct, then God has told different people different things. Otherwise, there would only be one religion. I have yet to hear somebody of faith say... Eh, yeah, just pick any religion. They're all equally true. They're all vehicles to the same destination. So us non-believers are left asking which one is correct. I mean, even with informal religion, the members don't agree with it. I can't tell you how many people of faith I've talked to that dismiss major issues with their church's official belief. They disagree with their church's stance on race, sexuality, whether or not ghosts are real, whether or not you can be a saint, whether or not God really is still watching versus just setting the universe in motion and leaving, whether or not to believe in evolution, whether or not to believe in the Old Testament. I'm obviously using mostly Christian examples simply because that's what I've dealt with mostly, but these same type of issues translate to other religions as well. If the people that make up a single faction of religion can't agree to their own rules, how is anyone supposed to determine which one is correct? All this disagreement makes it really difficult to clearly define a single religion. How can you believe in something you can't define? I know, I know. Believers have a definition. And just like people can't really define Republican or Democrat, and yet they side with one or the other, when your immortal soul is on the line, you better be able to define exactly what you are supposed to do. And it's because such an important decision seems to be taken so lightly, as far as I can tell, that I have to question it. If I'm picking a political party, I can choose which one feels right, and I can change my mind later, and I don't have to agree with everything they say. Religion? Not so. Once I'm part of it, I really don't have a choice. God said do X, I must do X, even if I don't like or agree with it. Remember, it's supposed to be about following the rules of the Supreme Creator, not what you like. If you're not really following His rules, aren't you just angering God every week? If you tell your landscaper to plant rose bushes on the side of the house, and he decides you'll like them better in the front and plants them there, are you going to be happy with them? Maybe, maybe not, but... It really wasn't his decision. You paid him to do a job and he didn't do it. It wasn't his call. It's not us mortals' decision to determine what God wants. If you want to believe he gave us the rules, we have to follow them precisely. And that's why we have to be sure we pick the correct religion. Since this is essentially an impossible task, it's one more reason we can't believe. Another reason why we don't believe. Being ignorant is neither a crime, nor is it emotionally painful. It's a state we're all in, all the time. Since none of us knows everything, we're all ignorant of something. That's life. That's what not being God is all about. We non-believers can be quite content to say, I have no idea how that happened, or I can think of several ways that might have occurred, but I don't know exactly which one did occur. We do not have to know why everything works. Many non-believers expect not to know, or at least not without some serious investigation. If, against all odds, things worked out unusually well at work, like uh, some project that was doomed to failure inexplicably succeeds, or, or something really unusual happens, like some weird noise in the night. Us non-believers usually don't immediately jump to extreme explanations, such as, it was a ghost, or God, or Freddy Krueger. We think, well, that was really odd. Or, my neighbor is probably whacking it behind my eggplant garden again. Damn liberal nudist! No wonder my strawberries taste like Clorox. We know some people in the past have what we consider primitive beliefs. They thought things like a god controlled the tides or the flooding of a river or that a volcano was a god unto itself. Today we know that it's the moon that causes the tides. The seasonal snow melts from the mountains to cause many rivers to flood. A volcano is caused by excessive pressure under the earth's crust. We non-believers look at our combined experience and realize that throughout history there are repeated and numerous examples where humanity thought something was supernatural and it turned out to have a clear and decidedly non-supernatural explanation. Guess what? We're in history, right? Now, non-believers realize that people were wrong in the past will probably be viewed in the same light by future people as a bunch of primitive losers. What with our microwaves that oscillate dipolar molecules to heat food and our usage of mechanical compressors for cooling our domiciles. So why should we be so arrogant to think that we know everything now? As such, we don't require an answer for everything. We know that for many things the true answer won't be forthcoming. This means that just because we can't explain certain things we don't assume that it's supernatural. We don't have to have an answer for why we are here. We don't get upset because this really is all there is. Non believers are content to accept this and move on with life. But this concept of answers brings us to yet another reason why we don't believe. How to say this without being insulting? Um, us non believers are seeking answers that are useful in life. We tend to focus on science, and not all of us, mind you, but many of us. Science reveals reproducible results. Religion does not. You can ask God for something. He may answer you. He may not. Yes, you can ask your mom for a toy, and she may give it to you, or she may not. But going back to my first point, we we have ample evidence that our mom exists, and your mom usually answers you either by saying no or of course not or something. She doesn't just completely ignore you. But if she never, ever, ever answered you and ignored you, regardless of whether you got the toy or not, are you going to keep asking her? Mom, can I get this Lego set? Mom, 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 can I get it? Can I get it? Mom, 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 can I get it? Are you going to keep asking her 15 years later, even when you get no response whatsoever? Mom, can I get this Lego set? Mom, 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 mom can I get it? Can I get it? Mom, oh, Mom, Mom, Mom. Yeah, some people feel they do get an answer, but it's so rare as to be useless. You cannot rely on it. I mean, if God were real, scientists would be constantly doing experiments to determine which animal sacrifices made God the most pleased. Well, we sacrificed a four-year-old calf and got two tons of corn this year. Last year we sacrificed a five-year-old calf and only got one and three-quarters tons. Maybe we need to go younger next year. If he's real, he's not giving us any reason to ask him for anything because we can't count on him. He's like that cousin that you ask for help with moving and always shows up after you're done. Eventually, you don't expect him to help out. I'm going to pray for God to give me the Johnson account. If I get it, then he answered my prayers. If I don't get it, then he must have a plan for me. It's a win-win situation. But statistically, you get the same exact results by praying to a jug of milk. Hail Mayfield! Yes, I know. Those of faith say that it does produce results. The problem is that you also say the Lord works in mysterious ways when you don't get what you wanted. From us non-believers' standpoint, it appears to work less often than it works. As I've said in a past episode, it is human nature to forget a non-event, and asking and not receiving is a non-event. We feel that believers just forget all the times they asked and it didn't work out, forgetting the thousands of times in desperation you asked God for something as you cried yourself to sleep and then never got what you wanted, but remembering the mere dozens of times that things worked out like you wanted after asking for God's assistance. Science fails quite often as well, but we often learn from our failures and realize that we weren't quite doing something right. I'm not aware of anyone analyzing prayers to see which way you ask yields the most reliable result. I also argue that science has made noticeable progress in the last, say, 200 years. I haven't seen any progress really coming from religion, and anything you claim as progress is very subjective. I mean, such as society and values. Some say modern society's values are in the turlet. Some say they're in the gutter. Still others say our values never existed. That's very difficult to quantify. So even if God is real, He isn't helping me in my day-to-day life. Some say that's not his purpose, and, and I wouldn't disagree. But man, have I met numerous people who told me how much Jesus helped them in their daily life, and I'm just not seeing it. Okay, so I've hit the main reasons why some of us don't believe in God. Lack of evidence, doesn't make sense, the inability to clearly define religion. Being ignorant is a normal state, and any true answer should be useful while I'm alive. But there's something that's equally important, and that's what is not atheism or non-belief. For starters, it's not evolution. Evolution has absolutely nothing to do with atheism. Evolution has several forms, but in this context, it is a possible explanation for how life came to exist. As a non-religious person, I'm not required to believe evolution. Religion states that some being created you. Religion defines where you come from. Non-belief says, I don't know, but I have no evidence that a being did it. Some, and probably most non-believers, will agree with evolution. But not all, and it's not a requirement. And just for the record, I've studied a lot of evolution, and I find it's probably the best explanation we've got, but it has quite a few areas that raise red flags to me. In places, it has inferences built on top of inferences. And I say, for such a complex question, we probably won't have the answer for a very very long time. I'm reserving judgment. You see, I don't have to make a decision on this. But what's interesting is that, true or not, the study of evolution is producing useful scientific results. The study of religion? Not so much. Oh, and just to make this point, evolution does not say we came from apes. It says we had a common ancestor, Saying that evolution means we came from monkeys is exactly the same as saying that the Bible states we all came from Paris Hilton. Neither of us came from monkeys or Paris Hilton. However, Paris Hilton and I share a common ancestor according to both religion and evolution. For religion, it's Adam and Eve. For evolution, it's some proto-human. Non-belief also has nothing to do with abortion, either. You can be anti-choice or anti-life and be an atheist. In fact, the only thing you can garner from someone's lack of belief is that they don't believe in a higher power. You can't even say they're liberal. I mean, I know some atheists that on almost all accounts, excluding religion, are considered very conservative. Just like I know believers who are liberals. Okay, get ready for an argument. Non-belief or atheism or whatever is not a religion. I know, I know. Believers say we have just as much faith in science or whatever as the religious have in God. Pick anything you don't believe in. Leprechauns, Martians, the moon landing, astrology, a bulldog riding a skateboard. If you don't believe in it, does that mean you have it as a religion? Based on the idea you don't believe in it? Ladies and gentlemen, we have a congregated here today in the Church of Whoville to discuss uh, how fictional the late, great Dr. Seuss Grinch is. Hey. Now we all know that he never existed. We all know that he was a character in a book. But I am here to tell you that with the corpse of the Dr. Seuss as my witness, we are so proud to admit that the Grinch never sprang out of those pages and into reality. Now let us bow our heads and stare at the floor quietly as if something mighty interesting is down there. Oh, Grinch that does not exist, we can't thank you, for you do not exist. Amen. Amen. The service has ended. There's some punch and cookies in the back and a cot if anyone needs to take a nap. I'm out of here. Name for me any other area in the world where the lack of belief in something is called a religion. Are there any religions where they sit around talking about how they're glad they don't believe that the universe is on the back of a giant turtle? Also, if we have a religion, then we should be able to open atheist centers tax-free since religion enjoys the luxury of churches being tax-free locations. Donations to atheist causes should be tax-deductible. Do you really want to say that we have a religion? Because frankly, it doesn't really bother me, but if you're going to say it, then I'm opening up a tax-free atheist Dairy Queen. We'll treat you right. Now, this leads to the obvious counter-statement that even atheists have faith in things. Well, it's common to use the word faith for lots of things. You can have faith the sun will come up tomorrow. You can have faith that your company won't replace you with robotic welders. You can have faith that your spouse won't bump uglies with a one-legged part-time carny atop the salad bar at Sizzler. The Sizzler, home of the best steak within a five-eighths of a mile radius. But this is arguing semantics. Semantics is an area I really don't care to argue over, especially not when you're talking about everyday speech. See, when a non-believer uses the word faith, they use it to mean they have good reason to believe. Based on past experience. The sun has always come up before. Your company has a union to keep robotic welders out. If you have faith in your wife not to cheat on you, what is the source of that faith? Probably that you know her character. Granted, it could also be out of ignorance of that type of behavior. Either way, it's based on past experiences. Faith in a religious conversation means trust without cause. How many times have you heard someone questioning religion, bringing up valid concerns, and someone else replies... You just have to have faith, dearie. This does not mean you should believe based on your past experience. This means trust me without cause. I'm not a particularly trusting person. I'm also not mistrusting. I reserve judgment until I have reason to go either way. And in reference to us having faith in science, first, we admit it's fallible, so right off the bat, our faith wavers. Second, science is not a thing. It's a process. Science is merely a process. We believe this process helps us understand things. But that's not atheism. That's science. If anything, you might could say that some people have science as their religion. Unfortunately, Scientology already took what would be the most appropriate name, and it has nothing to do with science. I think I could make a good argument that science is not a religion, such as the fact that there are those that claim to be Christian scientists. But frankly, one thing at a time. So if you want to say that some people worship science, fine, knock yourself out. But worshiping science would be completely different than not believing in God. I don't think I worship science, but I recognize its merits and its faults. But I certainly don't take it as gospel. Regardless, atheism is not a religion. It's a lack of belief. So, uh, another thing that non-belief is not It's not necessarily evil or particularly sinful. I use the word necessarily because, uh, well, they're they're bad people on both sides of the argument. I'm sure there are some really bad atheists, and I know for a fact there are some really bad religious people. Now that immediately brings one thing to mind. I have repeatedly heard it expressed by God-fearing individuals that atheists cannot be trusted. We answer to no one. We don't fear an almighty being watching over our shoulder. Therefore, we'll do anything. this I have to make three points. One, I get arrested just as quickly as a believer if I commit a crime. Being an atheist certainly does not imbue us with supervillain like powers so we can evade the police. So right off the bat, I'm not following how we are untrustworthy. Uh, we answer to the law just like everyone else. Two, if I lie to my friends and co-workers and steal from them, they will eventually know how untrustworthy I am and drop me as a friend or fire my ass from the job. So I also answer to the people that are in my life. Three. Let's say there's an Easter egg hunt. And all the children wind up finding around 20 eggs apiece. But little Cynthia shows up late because her daddy made an illegal left turn and was pulled over by the cops and given a ticket. Little Cynthia gets there after the egg hunt is over and she's upset because she missed out and she stands there wobbly with her little bonnet on holding an empty, tiny, lime-green, plastic, woven-looking basket with that cellophane grass in it. Now, which would you rather your child do? A. Willfully go to Cynthia and give her some of their eggs, understanding that she didn't get to join into the festivities. Or B. Hoard their eggs until you, as a parent, forced them to share their eggs with Cynthia. I think most of us would agree that the willfully sharing child is the nicer of the children. At the end of the day, both the eggs were shared. Same end result, egg-wise. But in one case, the child thought it was the right thing to do. In the other case, the child had to be forced to share. You see, we non-believers view many believers as that child that was forced to share their eggs. I mean, if the only reason you do right is because a higher authority made you do it. I know, not everything you do is from fear of God's wrath. But if the only reason you don't break the law or be nice is because of a fear of punishment from God, well, how moral are you? I mean, I don't lie because I feel it's wrong. If you say that, through God's teachings, you have learned the wisdom behind his rules and willfully follow them, then I'll reply, fine, through society and experience, I have learned the wisdom of not to lie and to be a good person, and I willfully follow many of the same rules. You see, at the end of the day, we both know right from wrong, and neither of us needs to fear the rage of a celestial being to do what's right. Uh, I'm familiar with the standard retort. Morals come from the Bible. For the sake of argument and simplicity, let's just say that basically what you mean is that I don't know right from wrong unless I use the Bible. If that's true, then uh, why are there Christians in jail? Now I'm going to mention statistics, so, uh, well, you should know how to take that by now. From every statistic I've ever seen, the percentage of Christians in jail is the same as the percentage of Christians in society. The same holds true for atheists. It basically means that around 90% of jailbirds believe in God. Wow, when you say it that way, it doesn't make believers sound very moral to me. The vast majority of criminals fear God, and yet they still go against His word. But I'm not that stupid. I recognize that faith has nothing to do with whether or not you go to jail. But going to jail could be considered at least one way to gauge morals. Though not really a very accurate one, I'll admit, since you don't usually go to jail for lying and even stealing in many cases. That and many other things are illegal that God doesn't say anything about. But it does prove that Even many believers aren't very afraid of God's wrath. I mean, if you really believed in him, and you knew one of his rules was not to steal, you wouldn't steal. But I'm I'm getting off subject. Back to the point of where morals come from. Forget everything else. I'm telling you right now. I know stealing, lying, hurting someone, either emotionally or physical, which includes killing, is wrong. So if morals come from God, how can I know that? I don't believe in Him. What's that? He gave me morals whether I believe in them or not. Interesting. So then you should be ecstatic. I've been given these morals whether I want them or not. That means you're not allowed to distrust me for being an atheist. Cool. God gave me the knowledge of right and wrong. You're happy because you think morals came from God, and I'm happy because you don't think I'm going to sneak into your house in the night and slit your throat. Which means you won't be thinking of making a preemptive strike on me. This is great! You get to believe in God, and you can explain how a blasphemer like me actually doesn't commit crimes. As a result, you should trust me completely. God has forced these morals onto me, whether I wanted them or not. Cool. What's that? There's other morals than those I just mentioned. I could go through the Ten Commandments, and maybe even the Seven Deadly Sins, and state my case for each of them, but uh, frankly, that's a waste of time. You'll get me on a few of the commandments. I mean, I have willfully taken the Lord's name in vain, and I'll do it again. But then I think I could trap a believer in the whole honor thy mother and father thing. That commandment means that parental child molestation requires the child to still honor his parents. I'm not buying that. I don't think anyone does. Especially not even those that believe. And that means you've gone against God. He was fairly explicit about his rules and you chose to ignore them. How can that be? Because you know right from wrong. And you know child molestation is wrong. Well, how can you know this without being told? Well, You were told, your parents told you, society told you, your friends told you, your sore butt told you, experience told you. Society wouldn't really work if lying were acceptable, if killing were acceptable, if stealing were acceptable. I mention those three because those are the big ones that I think we can agree on. Those three seem to be repeated in almost all civilizations of every religion and non-religion. It seems like it's just universal. To me, the concept of not hurting others because I know how that would make me feel seems pretty damned obvious. Granted, people break those rules all the time, but you know you're doing something wrong when you break them. And, for the sake of argument, let's just exclude crazy people. But like I said, trying to dispute this is a waste of time. Instead, I'll ask what rules does society hold dear that those without faith break? You see, I mention things like lying, stealing, injuring, and killing is wrong. The vast majority of us agree on those. But when you throw in issues like abortion, outdoor water usage restriction, and predated stock options, many of us, those of faith and not of faith, disagree. And the Bible's opinion is not clearly stated on these. That's not true at all. It says so in Jonah twenty three eighteen 18. And so saith the Lord that in times of great drought thou shalt alternate thy outdoor water usage per thy street address. Even addresses are to pour forth on even days of the week. Odd addresses shall pour forth on odd days of the week. None shall pour forth on the Sabbath day. If nothing else, this proves that there's not a consensus on these things. Whether they're right or wrong is highly debatable. And so we have. Debated, that is. On many of these things. For years. About the only things we agree on is wrong are lying, stealing, injuring, and killing others. I don't require a god to tell me those are wrong. Society wouldn't work well if we did that. Yes, there have been bouts of this behavior in the past, and I for one do not want to return to a time in the old west where someone could kill you just for beating them in a game of cards and not really have to worry about any repercussions. Notice we don't do that anymore. Any rule you come up with that 80% of humanity accepts, regardless of their religion, i probably accept as well. You see, I feel comfortable saying that, because I don't think that even 80% of believers can agree on their own religion-specific rules, much less general rules of morality, unless, of course, it just plain makes sense. Now one last thing that bothers me about this argument that atheists have no morals. It suggests that if you believe in a higher power, then you are by default moral. So what about that devout Christian I know that said we should just bomb the entire Middle East? Is that moral? What about that other devout Christian I know that uh, steals cable? Does the fact that they're Christian immediately make them moral and above the law? No. So if they can believe and break the rules of morality, I bet it's possible to not believe and not break the rules of morality. I'll save the topic of whether morals come from the Bible for a later episode. I'll only point out that I know right from wrong, as long as you take anything directly related from God out of the equation. If God says, I'm immoral if I don't believe in him, well, then yeah, you as a believer have no choice but to follow his wishes. But like I said, you take that type of rule away, and most non-believers are just as moral as believers. Next on the list of what does not constitute an atheist. Another thing I've heard about people like myself is that us non-believers don't believe because we enjoy our hedonistic, sinful way of life. Ooh, yeah, That worshiping God would mean we just have to give up our satisfying job as a daytime street hooker and get that office job. You got something on your face. This is similar to saying we have no morals, except the difference is, is that we're intentionally being evil. Refer to everything I said a moment ago. And in addition, um, that argument means that I know there's a God and I've chosen not to follow his rules because I disagree with them. So you're saying that I acknowledge that he exists, that there's this being that created us and can destroy us on a whim, and yet I'm going to ignore that because I want to have butt sex with a lonely male rhinoceros wrongfully imprisoned by the evil Dr. Zookeeper. I'm going to willfully ignore how vengeful God is and the eternal torment I'll suffer just because I want to steal a package of moon pies from a gas station? If I believed in him at all, wouldn't I be afraid to go against him? I mean, I can tell you that if I personally had any evidence of his existence and his wrath, I would follow every damn letter of his word. Saying I choose not to believe because I want to be sinful is really frickin' insulting. It's saying I'm incredibly stupid. I mean stupid like putting your hand in fire. Ow! I guess I'll do that again. Ow! How about one more time? Ow! Why would I go against such a powerful entity if I knew he existed? But aside from the, I'm certain, intended insult, what sinful ways? What do I do in my life that's sinful? What horrid, nefarious crimes am I committing that feels so good to me that I must obstinately ignore a being that can crush me like a pellet? I mean, it better be something worse than calling up the powers of satanic demons to force the ghosts of Hitler and Anne Frank to battle it out, mano a mano, in an enchanted circle in the depths of my secret underground lair. O oh, Marduk, I do call upon thee as a humble servant. O oh, demon whose wrath I invite, Lord of the Anti-Light, I beg of thee to grant me this wish I wish tonight. Bring upon this world a conflict of unimaginable destruction. In this corner, weighing in at 97 pounds, standing at 4 foot 6, the Queen of the Attic, the Sovereign of Silence, the Challenger, and open book Frank! And in this corner... Weighing in at 168 pounds, standing at five foot seven, the current reigning champion, the man with the failed plan, Adolf Sweet T. Hitler! Hmm. After all that build-up, I'm sorry to report that the worst thing I do, besides make bad jokes about things that are probably emotionally distressing to many people, is listen to music with profanity in it. It also sometimes talks about death and murder. I also read books on similar naughty subjects as well. Oh, and I like martinis. Ooh, that's so bad. It's sinful. Do I stalk Central Park searching for female joggers so I can steal their used tampons? No, not this week. I really can't think of anything I do that would be considered sinful by society if you ignore the fact that I don't believe in God. Which is circular logic, if the only reason I'm evil is because I don't believe in something that says I'm evil if I don't believe in it. I can assure you that... By definition, you're not a non-believer if you go against God. How can you go against something you don't believe in? That's like me defying Mothra's will. It's just a guy in a costume in a bad movie. I'm sure there are a few seriously hedonistic non-believers out there, just like there's priests that molest little boys. But that's not the norm. It's far from it. So let's not take the bad apples as evidence of how evil the other party is. So, uh, what's next on the list of things that non-belief is not? How about a choice? I've heard it said that us non-believers made a choice not to believe, and that we could choose to believe, and we'd be saved. You know, I had a lot to say on this particular issue, but in the end, I just decided to keep it simple by asking one question to believers. Do you choose to believe? Did you wake up one day and say, I guess I'll choose to believe in God. That'll solve all my problems. Even if you did say something similar to that, I I don't agree that it's a choice. I'm not convinced that you can choose your beliefs. I never woke up one day and said, I'm going to choose not to believe in God. That way I can sleep late on Sundays. Sure, I'll end up suffering horrid burning torment in a lake of fire for eternity. But if I live another 30 years, think of the 1560 Sundays I'll get to sleep in. Wow! I mean, it'll be worth the pain. What a bargain. In fact, I for one never believed. I'm finding out how rare that is to not believe from scratch. There's so many people who lose their faith after realizing that it just doesn't work. See, my parents took me to church for a few years when I was around eight or nine. You know, old enough so you could make a case that I might understand what's going on instead of just brainwashing me at age three. But I wasn't raised religiously, and I never believed any of it. And as a young child, it simply wasn't stressed that God is watching. I made no choice, just as I think most of those of faith make no choice. But the difference is that my parents exposed me to an alternate viewpoint and allowed me the opportunity to see if it made sense to me. I don't think believers are so kind to their offspring. But just as believers didn't choose to believe, atheists didn't choose not to believe. So what's next on the list of things non belief is not? How about Satanism? I hear this one all too often. We don't believe in any higher being. Period. Whether that being is good or evil. I don't believe in God, Satan, or the Easter Bunny. I don't worship any of them. So, I can't be satanic. Now, if Satan is pulling the wool over my eyes and making me not believe, well, then all I've got to say is that God sure got the short end of that stick. All Satan has to do is get you NOT to follow God's rules, and Satan wins your soul by default. When you consider all the different religions out there, it seems like hell is getting overcrowded. I've also wondered, What's in it for Satan? I have the same reservations about hell as I do heaven. I mean, After about 487 years of poking people in the tokus with pitchforks and having to repeatedly expand hell and replenish the lava pit and dealing with which demon gets promoted to the east side sales, wouldn't Satan just give up and go somewhere else? Wouldn't you get burned out on doing anything for eternity? Remember that dumb joke where the guy goes to hell and has to choose one of three rooms? And the last room has people standing up to their knees in dung and they're smoking cigarettes. And it appears that that one is the best of the three rooms. So he chooses that third room and it turns out that the people in the room were on their smoking break and they have to stand on their heads for the rest of eternity. (sighs) I can see how making people bury their head in two feet of gorilla manure could be entertaining for, say, eight minutes tops. But is Satan still enjoying this? He's got his head buried in shit. (laughs) Hey Marduk, bring Hitler with you and check out this poor bastard. Look at him. He thought he would only have to smoke standing in crap, but now his head will be submerged in excrement for eternity. (laughs) I never get tired of this. Take that, you volcano-worshipping primitive loser raised on an island. That'll show you to be ignorant of the truth. (laughs) His head's still in there. Oh, and that aerator guy just tuned up the fecal aerator so the people won't suffocate. This is gonna be really funny in two millennia. (laughs) He's still there! (laughs) Someone get me a coffee and some popcorn. I mean, frankly, that makes Satan out to be an immortal frat boy. Satan's a loser if that's all he does all day. Every day. For eternity. Why would I want to worship a loser? Particularly a loser that I don't even think exists. I mean, if I'm going to worship something that doesn't exist, I'm going to worship Figment, you know, that purple Epcot center dragon. So some good things to remember about us non-believers is that we're not required to believe in evolution. We're not a religion. We're not evil or particularly sinful. Our beliefs are not a choice. And we're not Satanists. So with all this talk about what non-believers are and are not... What is it that we want? I mean, we obviously don't want to die because to us, that's the end of the road, baby. We're not living for the afterlife or to follow the rules of someone we can't see. So what the hell do we want? First and foremost, we just want to live our lives. We want to live them in a similar manner to those of faith. Meaning, we wake up, we go to work, we have families, and we have friends. We require foods and beverages. Many of us enjoy a rousing bout of fornication and a spot tea. We're not mild-mannered accountants by day, but by night we don a mask and cape and terrorize the city, kicking in chairs and knocking down tables as Atheist Man, faster than Michael Schirmer produces books, more powerful than an aging pope, and able not to take a leap of faith in a single bound. Our average day is surprisingly similar to the average day of a believer. I would say we just have a few extra hours each week from lack of going to church, but, but frankly, I'm not convinced that the average believer actually goes to church. The interesting thing is you probably don't know someone's religion, unless they tell you... either directly or by a bumper sticker. I've been called a good Christian by several believers who were unaware of my true status, and I didn't correct them because they would suddenly fear me for no reason. I'm just trying to point out that there's really not that much difference between us. Another thing we want... to be left alone. To not fear being ourselves. I mean, in high school, I made my beliefs known... And then people thought I was a Satanist. Trust me, school life wasn't pleasant. But I kind of brought it all on myself, however, because I I started encouraging it, because I thought it was funny that the cheerleaders would avoid me in the hallway and then request not to sit next to me in class. It got less funny when the football team ganged up on me in the locker room. And it continued downhill from there. Yeah, well, I was a stupid teenager. Lesson learned. Keep my beliefs to myself. And yet I'm ecstatic there's a way to get that belief out today which is why I'm broadcasting this to tens of people all across the interweb. I could point out that we're being discriminated against and we just want equal rights, but uh, actually we, we have them. They're just not enforced for some bizarre reason. We have the same rights as everyone else, but for some reason believers often get preferential treatment in certain areas, such as tax money usages. We'd like the preferential treatment to stop, but uh, we're not against charities. Another thing we want, and this will surprise believers, We want to make society a better place. I don't mean better because we want to make more people like us, just better overall, regardless of your beliefs. We see suffering, we see difficulties, and we think, can't we solve these problems? I'm not saying believers don't want the same thing, but there's something about believing in an afterlife that's scary from a societal standpoint, something that potentially contradicts what's best for the rest of us. We atheists sometimes fear that if believers are in control and they've always got their eye on that afterlife prize, do they feel any responsibility for those that come afterwards? Yes, I'm sure that those that have children want their children to be safe and happy. But is it possible that something that drives you is knowing that the sooner you die, the sooner you can have omelets with God? When someone dies, a believer often says, they're in a better place now. Which I always find funny, because you never get confirmation that that person actually went to heaven. I mean, they could be burning in hell for all you know. But the main goal of many, if not all, many religions, is to die and go somewhere better. This implies that the earth is a spiritual layover bus station. And just like people who rent a house don't tend to take as good a care of it as people who own their homes, if the earth and society are just ephemeral, it just makes me wonder how much do you feel you have invested in it? Do you really care about what happens to those left behind after your death? This last item of what non-believers want actually applies to me, but not all atheists. I sadly think that at least half of non-believers will vehemently disagree with me. This division between us is that I honestly couldn't care less what anyone believes as long as you're not interfering with me living my life. Now notice that I said, as long as you're not interfering with me living my life. That's where many atheists disagree. Many non-believers simply don't care what you believe. But many of them would also like to remove religion entirely. The latter see the negative things religion has done and focus on those and some bad things can be attributed to religion, such as people choosing to pray for their sick child rather than take it to the doctor when a known cure exists. But I personally feel that those are, again, a few bad apples giving the whole batch a bad name. And technically those people solve our problem for us, so what's the problem? But understand, the non-believers that disagree do so often because they've been persecuted for their beliefs, so can you blame them for being hostile towards religion? Some feel we've just lost too much and it's time we take back our rights as well as many atheists feel that believers are completely ignorant and downright stupid. Honestly, that's a topic unto itself, which I believe I've already partial covered, so I won't go into it. But here in America, if we could just enforce the First Amendment, then I'll get along fine with just about anyone. Or at least I won't go out of my way to harm you. But I'll tell you one big thing I personally want. I want believers to stop complaining that their rights are being taken away from them when separation of church and state is enforced. Here's part of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. You paraphrase that as separation of church and state. No one is taking away your faith or your rights just because you can't have a three-ton rock with your beliefs displayed at the courthouse. You are free to believe as you choose, and I fail to see how the lack of a public display impairs your belief. Frankly, if I had my way, I'd take in God we trust off of our money. Do some research. It hasn't been there as long as many Christians profess. It's plainly against the First Amendment. But... I'm not going to push that, as I can't see that happening in my lifetime anyway. And you know what? Aside from a miraculously stupid ending to a remake of a Christmas movie, it really doesn't affect me. It's just a lie to me, and that's all. So after all this blathering, uh, here's something for the atheists that have managed to stay awake until now. There was an email I received from a listener. I don't remember who it was a while ago, I'm sorry. But this listener asked if atheism should be promoted. I didn't take it as promoting for converting believers to atheism, but promoting that, hey, we're people too. We're here. Don't fear. We don't want any more God. In this respect, I think our biggest hindrance is that by nature, we're not organized together. There are atheist organizations, but my understanding is that those are primarily focused on ensuring we don't lose further rights. And then a little promoting positive atheism. But we don't get together generally and talk about how we don't believe. I mean, who would do that? Hear, hear. I call to order a new meeting of the royal order of those that deny another Earth is orbiting exactly on the opposite side of the sun from us and is therefore hidden. Jerry, will you read the minutes from the last meeting? We agreed that no such planet exists. Again. Then we had Punch, followed by Al's immediate soiling of the cot. I have to say that maybe it's time we do promote ourselves as useful members of society. I would donate money for something like TV and radio commercials and some print ads to run that focus only on showing that us non-believers are just like everyone else. It must be ultra non-hostile, much less than I'm being right now. Honestly, if you do that, people will immediately become suspicious, so I think it needs to be open and direct that there is no ulterior motive. The only motive is to clarify some misconceptions about us. If you still don't like us, fine, but we're not going anywhere and you legally are required to tolerate us, just as we tolerate you. Hey, that could be our slogan, non-believers. We're just like you, and you're legally required to tolerate us anyway. It could also point out that we tend not to be vocal about our beliefs, so we're probably around you and you just don't know it. <laughs> These advertisements should focus on showing the average person that we're just normal people. We love, we laugh, we dislike traffic. We're not perfect, but then who is? Those of religion certainly aren't perfect either. They should show many people of all walks of life, with families and babies, especially babies. However, you need to consider that some people think it's wrong for babies to be raised atheists. It's as if we're damning their mortal soul. So we ought to point out the very real fact that non-believers allow their children to be exposed to other beliefs. And for God's sakes, don't point out that the opposite isn't usually true, that believers don't let their children be exposed to atheism. It would be nice if maybe some writers had atheists in their movies and TV shows who weren't jerks or intellectual bullies. I'm certainly not saying we need a show called Leave it to the Atheist, or even a pseudo-crime-solving band of non-believers, including a Mohawk Brute called The Atheist Team. Or even Unsolved Skeptical Mysteries. Uh, Wait, scratch that. We do need that last one. It would also be useful to point out that we have more similarities than we do differences, especially when you take God out of the list of differences. I know some non-believing people that are so fed up they just want to lash out at believers calling them stupid. I believe the first 10 minutes of any decent debate class will teach you that you don't win a debate by calling the opposition and the audience stupid. And it's because of idiot Christians that taxes are higher, poverty is rampant, and children are dying in Africa because they're giving them Bibles instead of actual help. There was a recent study that showed atheists are not trusted by Christians. It seems that, uh, it seems like that would be the first place to start. To show that that mistrust is based on erroneous information. I mean, hell, if someone doesn't trust you, by definition, they're not going to believe anything you say. So focus on correcting that problem first, all the while recognizing that many people won't trust you while you're making your case, so that should drive the direction of your delivery. I have one last quick point to make, and then I'm out of here. There's a saying I've always hated. There are no atheists in foxholes. For the record, my father is a non-believer. Not only did he serve in Vietnam, but he voluntarily joined After the war had started, the draft was in effect, and he volunteered. He was in the thick of battle. He was a non-believer before the war, and he's a non-believer today. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. So the next time you as a believer see a non-believer, you can go up to that person and say, I understand, but I'm still required to tell you that you're going to hell. And the non-believer can reply, I know you think that. And for my second last point, this reminds me of a really great short story by Mark Twain. It's called Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven. And if you haven't read it, I strongly recommend you do. I mean, I think you'd even find it free online. Shouldn't it be in the public domain by now? But in it, Twain shows several impracticalities of the afterlife in a very non-threatening story form. This story was first published almost 200 years ago, and I find it fascinating to know that people shared my concerns even back then. It really makes you realize we haven't grown that much as a society. Especially if you read the other works by Twain. And after that ending, I simply must finish with a quote from good old Mr. Clemens. But I'll do you one better, in fact I'll do you two better, for a grand total of three! Man is a religious animal. He is the only religious animal. He is the only animal that has true religion. several of them. He is the only animal that loves his neighbor as himself and cuts his throat if his theology isn't straight. We have to keep our God placated with prayer and even then we are never sure of him. How much higher and finer is the Indian's God? Our illogical God is all-powerful in name, but impotent in fact. The Great Spirit is not all-powerful, but does the very best he can for his engine, and he does it free of charge. Blasphemy? No, it is not blasphemy. If God is as vast as that, he is above blasphemy. If he is as little as that, he is beneath it. No rhinoceri were violated in the production of this episode. Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com.